Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So I'll make a statement today to open up that probably is not controversial, Uh, and the statement is simply this, life in the modern world is really good. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, We have so many comforts and conveniences in 2021 that we didn't even have 20 years ago, 50 years ago, definitely 100 years ago. Uh, Life today, we are living the good life. We just are. And you may think, well, I've got these issues and these problems and I have this income and I have these, regardless of that, we are living a good life. Let me give you some examples of how that's true. Uh, So as of 2019, now this has changed a bit, but just a year and a half, two years ago, just before everything shut, the world shut down, uh, the U.S., the average household income was the highest in recorded history in this country, okay? That was just a year and a half ago. Uh, And even to look at a broader picture in the last 50 years, so the average size of a new home being built is just over a thousand square feet larger than it was 50 years ago. Imagine that. That's a good life, okay? You talk to your parents or grandparents and talk, yeah, we lived in this one-room house with all 17 of us children, you know? That's how my, you know, grandparents were. And, you know, even, even my, where I grew up, kind of out in the boonies in Kentucky, so my dad and aunt and uncle and my grandparents, they didn't have running water until my dad was in middle school or high school. So we're talking like, like what, that wasn't that. My dad's not old, right? I mean, he just turned 60. So it's, but that's, you know, that's just how it is, right? So we live, we're living the good life, all right? I don't have to go to the outhouse in the middle of the night. I'm living the good life. Thankful for that. Technology makes everything so convenient anymore. I mean, if you want to know any fact about anything, just get out your Google machine, right? It's in your pocket. We have more information on this thing than supercomputers 50 years ago that took up a whole room this size would have had in them, right? That got us on the moon. There's more information and power in this little box than there was that got the thing on the moon 50 years ago. That's crazy. It's, that's, that's amazing. If you want to see any world-class lecturer talk about any number of topics, you just go on YouTube and look at a TED Talk, and you can learn almost anything. You want to remodel your house, go on YouTube, and you can find step-by-step instructions on how to do pretty much anything. If you want to order almost anything in the world and have it delivered to your house within a week, you can do that. We are living the good life in our modern world. Life is good. We're living longer, healthier lives than ever before. So again, 50 years ago, 19, 1970, the life expectancy in this country was 71 years old. So even after, so in 2020, after all that happened, that number actually went from where it was down over a full year. However, still, based from 50, 50 years ago, which was 71 years was a life expectancy, today it's 78, which means if that trajectory continues on that current pace, in 50 years, when I'm 85, that, that will then be the life expectancy in this country. It's crazy. We're living the good life. It wasn't that long ago that people didn't get into their 50s. It wasn't that long ago that, 
more women and children died in childbirth than actually children were born. And now that's a rare thing. We're living the good life. However, when you look around at most people in our culture today, I would say you would have no idea that we're living the good life. Let me read you this, this quote that uh, I found a few weeks ago, and it ties in directly with what we're talking about today. Here's the quote. It says, we've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Now, what modern preacher said this? What modern thinker said this about our culture today? Well, it's actually a quote from Abraham Lincoln, 160 years ago, 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, he made that statement. Now, if that, if that were true 160 years ago, when life was what it was then compared to what it is now, how much worse is this description now in our modern culture? It's far worse, because we have it so much better. So the question is, why is that the case? Why is our culture that way? So what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the lost art of gratitude. Today we're talking about the lost art of gratitude. And I think to a large degree I'm speaking to the choir, but I think we'll still have something to learn and something to gain from our discussion today. And, and so here's the thing. <clears throat> we don't just need to hear, oh, we should live in gratitude, guilt-tripping people into being gracious and thankful doesn't work. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't like anything, for a little while, because we're more aware of, oh, I was ungrateful there, I was unthankful about that. But then after we just get back into a regular mode, we don't think about it anymore. So we need more than just, we should be grateful, you should be grateful, that, that's not going to work. So what I want to do instead is look at gratitude through the lens of Scripture, because we're at church, so that makes sense. And I want to see how Scripture describes gratitude, and also at the same time shows us benefits of gratitude. And so there are three, three ways that we're going to look at today. Now, there's a lot more that Scripture would tell us, but there's three descriptions of gratitude that we'll look at uh, through Scripture and look at the benefits of it as well to see why it's so important. Not just that we should be gracious or live with gratitude, but why, what it does for our everyday life and what the Bible says about that. So the first description is maybe the weirdest one, but we're going to start there. The first way that, this, that the scriptures describe gratitude is gratitude is a gate. Gratitude is a gate. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So in this one verse, in three lines, we have the word thanks and thanksgiving and the word praise used twice. Those, I would say, are all synonyms for gratitude. So what we see here, Psalm 100, verse 4, worship is the gateway to God's presence. That's what we see here. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. So we see it's the gateway, the entry to God's presence. Another psalm I don't have on the screen, but Psalm 22, verse 3, says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So to inhabit means to dwell somewhere, to live somewhere, to settle down and put roots deep somewhere. So what happens is when we praise God dwells there. He stays there. He sits there. He lives within that space. And we want that in our lives. And so the way to do that, the, the entryway, the gate to get to that, to God's presence, is through gratitude. And, you know, sometimes we will say, or maybe you've said it or I've said it, people say it, you know, God really feels really distant right now. And sometimes he does for different reasons. 
Or I don't really sense God's presence, you know, like I maybe used to. And sometimes that happens for different reasons at different times. But the first question that you might want to ask yourself if you are saying that or feeling that is, am I trying to access God's presence through the gate? Or am I trying to barge through a brick wall, another method that doesn't work? So let me, let me put it this way. In your prayer life or in your general attitude toward God, how, how do you approach him? It's very telling how we approach God. Sometimes we tend to approach God in prayer. We start out with, God, I need this. God, would you do that? First thing, out the gate. Out, we're trying to get out the, out the gate. We're not getting in the gate because that's our approach. Or we say, God, I really feel scared or I feel sad or I feel burdened. And that's fine. You can feel those things. and You can tell God about those things. But as we've said in Psalm 100, the entry, the gate into God's presence is through gratitude first. So let me give you this challenge. If you don't pray this way, let me challenge you to maybe change this one little thing and just see if it makes a difference. Let me challenge you to begin your prayer with thanks. First, before you do anything else, God, thank you for and find something to fill in the blank that I'm alive. Maybe that's the thing that you can thank God for today. Everything else around me is falling apart. I got a lot of issues. We're going to get to that in a minute, God. But first, thank you. Thank you that you hear me, right? When Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus, who's dead, that's the first thing he says. God, thank you, Father, that you hear me. That's a great place to start. An attitude of gratitude, pardon the pun, I know it's corny, but still, is the entry to God's presence. It's the gate to get to where we want to go. The thing about this gate, though, is that it actually swings both ways. It works both ways. Because not only can gratitude enter us into God's presence, but it's also the way in which God can then enter into our situation. Let me give you an example of this. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the king of Israel is Jehoshaphat. His mom and dad were cruel, cruel people. Jehoshaphat, right? That was funny. That, that was, yeah, insert, I need a laugh track going on. You guys are in the zone. I'm sorry, I'm getting out of the zone. Jehoshaphat, so he's the king of Israel. So here's, he's, he's facing a dilemma. He's got a problem. His problem is he's got three neighboring countries who are assembling armies together, like the Avengers, to come against Israel. And that's a problem. Even as powerful as they are, they're kind of dwindling. They've already split. It's not good, and so they're in trouble. And so Jehoshaphat does the right thing. He calls a fast for the nation, and he prays, and he inquires of God, what Shall we do? What, our God, are you going to do? And so God gives an answer through just kind of a random guy. And here's what this man says to the king. Second Chronicles 20, verse 15 says this. The man said to the king, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. We sang that this morning on purpose. Next verse. <laughs> Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Oh, thank you. Take your positions. Now, I, I could preach this from this text from that point of view, but I'm not today. That's not the point I'm making today, but it's there. You won't even need to fight, but take your positions. That's a sermon right there. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. This is great news, right? 
I mean, if I'm the king and I'm outnumbered three to one and I don't know what I'm going to do, and God says, get armored up, show up on the battlefield, and just watch, I'm all in. Like, I'm in for I can do that. We can, God, we can handle that. We can get the armor on and watch and just see what you're going to do. And so Jehoshaphat's response to this good news is gratitude. And it's interesting what, how he shows that, how he expresses that in a very real way, in a very transparent way. Because here's what happens. Let's pick it up in verse 21, same chapter. After consulting the people, here's what he did. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. It's a new strategy. Singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. So that's Jehoshaphat's response is gratitude. And then through that gratitude, God comes through. The very next verse says this. Verse 22. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. So what happened here for Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah here is when they followed God's command and then they met this, uh, this opposition with gratitude, with praise, with thanksgiving. I know we're a month ahead, so this seems like we're, but just bear with me, all right? It makes sense. Um, when they meet them with thanksgiving, it says at that moment is when God did what he said he was going to do. I don't think that's a coincidence that God chose that moment in that way to do that thing. I think what happened here is gratitude was a gate, that when they, they entered God's presence as a nation through praise, through gratitude, through thankfulness and thanksgiving, and then when that gate swung open, he came through the other side and did what cannot be done. He did the impossible. He met a need that no one else could meet. He did a thing that no one else could do. He performed a miracle on their behalf when they opened that gate of gratitude. So gratitude is a gate. The second one is maybe easier to understand, and it really applies to our lives every day, I believe, and it's this. Gratitude is also freedom. Gratitude is freedom. I'm going to mention two stories from the Bible, one Old Testament, one New Testament, to show physically how this happens in each case. So the first story is the prophet Jonah, pretty famous story. He's called by God to go to one city and preach, and he goes the opposite direction, runs away, ends up in a boat in a storm. He's tossed overboard and swallowed by a huge fish. Right? So he's running from God, and he ends up in a huge fish in the middle of the sea. But while he's in there, he's got time to think, right? He's a captive audience. No other distractions. There's no Twitter to get on. There's no reception out in the sea. It's dark. It's stanky. It's gross. And he's got a lot of time to think, and he prays and really repents of running from God. At the end of his prayer in chapter 2, here's what he says, and then the next verse is what God does. Okay. Here we go. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Jonah says, he ends his prayer this, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, gratitude, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. I'm going to go do what you told me to do. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Gratitude for Jonah was freedom from the worst place he could ever hope to be in. Awful, right? He comes out on the beach. He does what God says. He's still not quite a perfect guy because nobody is. He still has issues to work through because everybody does. But in that moment, gratitude brought about his freedom. In the New Testament, we see a story that is, couldn't be more different at the beginning. But it's Acts chapter 16. So Paul and Silas are traveling, preaching about Jesus. And Acts chapter 16, I want you to read it sometime soon. This, maybe this week, read it. 
it's one of my favorite, it's become, in the last several months, I've been studying, studying, studying it. I'm going to preach through it next fall. I'm already, I already know what I'm doing, all right? So it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Just the progression that these guys go through and the story that just, it's basically a day in the life, and it's like the most crazy thing you could ever imagine. But after a day of making trouble in the name of Jesus, they're imprisoned, okay? In shackles, bound hand and foot, and it's similar to Jonah, dark, danky, stanky place, Here's what happened to them. It says This is Acts 16, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, right, just happened to be in that moment of gratitude in a prison, chained up. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Gratitude was freedom. Now, again, look at both these stories. They could have started out more differently, but they ended up in the same place. So Jonah's running from God, ends up in bondage. Paul and Silas, working for God, end up in bondage. But the same thing brought about freedom, gratitude, thanksgiving. Now, here's the important part, one of the important parts, and we'll come back to this later to underscore it. Here's, Here's the thing about gratitude that we see here in both of these occasions. Gratitude is not about being grateful about your circumstance, but still being grateful in your circumstance. See see the difference there? I don't have to be, like, you don't have to lie. Well, yeah, I'm grateful that I have this diagnosis. You thank God for that. No, no, that's stupid. No one would ever say that, right? But that's not what what gratitude is. Gratitude is I'm not grateful for what's happening to me, but within what's happening to me, I'm finding ways to be grateful. I'm finding things for which to still be grateful. Not about your circumstance, but within them, gratitude is possible. So what ha- this, is, this is how gratitude frees us. Let me give you some, some simple ways that gratitude is helpful for us, what, what it frees us from. It can free us from anger. So I, if, I, if I have an attitude of gratitude, if I live with a grateful lifestyle, I can learn to let more things go. Doesn't have to, I don't have to take every little thing everyone says to me or about me so personally because I'm living in a grateful mindset with thanksgiving as my mode of operation. My initial way of being is in gratitude. So what they say about me doesn't matter as much anymore. I can let go of that. I can let go of those things. Um, we, we're free of entitlement when we live a life of gratitude. You know, uh, there's nothing more ugly than someone who's entitled, in my opinion. It's just ugly. Like, you deserve this because you were born? I don't, I don't think so, right? You deserve this because, yeah, I deserve this raise because I've worked hard? Well, I mean, maybe you feel like you do, but unless the boss pays it out, <laughs> you're not getting it. Sorry, you know? Or we think, and here's another thing with entitlement is it can turn into covetousness very quickly. It's not just that I want that, but I don't want them to have that. I wish I had what they have. I'm not happy for my coworker that got a promotion because I deserve that. That's, that's, un, that's an ungrateful way to look at things. And here's the thing. Again, not being grateful for your circumstance. Maybe you did deserve that more than they did. But man, if, if, if I'm trying to live a life of gratitude, I can overcome that offense. I can overcome being slighted by my boss or my manager. I can overcome feeling like I'm just a number to my workplace because I'm trying to live in this mode of gratitude. I can live that way. It frees me from entitlement. And condescension for, uh, from other people, what they have. Oh, that thing's not, th- nothing's good enough for me. You know, I deserve more. We're free of that as we live 
we're freed of that over time as we live with gratitude. Gratitude frees us from the rat race, right? We think that chasing after more, 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 more all the time is freeing. It's chains. It's bondage to chase after this, to work 80 million hours a week for a couple hundred more square feet, really? For a little faster, shinier car that we're in debt for anyway, no matter what? <laughs> like, no, that's not freedom. And so gratitude can help us to be freed from that. Gratitude frees us up to slow us down because we need that in our culture. That's another thing we need. It's not the topic, the subject today, but it's there. Gratitude frees us up to slow us down. When I'm not so consumed about the latest and greatest and newest and brightest and shiniest and biggest thing anymore, and I'm more content with what I do have, now it's okay to have desires and dreams and goals and safer things and have nice things. That's not what we're talking about. We'll get to that in a minute. But if we're chasing after those things, we're in bondage to our desires, to our appetites, to the things that we can't have instead of being okay with what we do have. We're we're freed from that. And here's the last thing I'll mention on this freedom, and then we'll move on. Gratitude also frees others from us. Because someone who is, as we already said, ungrateful, usually just an ugly person. We don't want to be around them. We don't want to talk to them. We don't care what they have to say because it's always negative. It's never good enough. And I'm, I'm disenfranchised and everything's miserable. And I was like, oh my goodness, please go away, you know. So what happens is if we live a life of gratitude, we free others from us being that way. We free others from the entitled me, from the complaining me, from the whiny me, from the judgmental me, from the comparison game playing me. I free others from the worst of me when I can learn to live with gratitude. That's a good thing. That's, that's a good thing. It'll save your marriage. <laughs> It'll save your relationships. Uh, it'll give you a healthier life all around as we learn to live in gratitude, as we understand that gratitude is freedom. So we want to choose freedom by choosing gratitude. But that's the third way that Scripture describes gratitude is it's a choice. It's a gate, it's freedom, but ultimately it's a choice. So I want to read a couple of scriptures on this point. The first one is going to underscore what we've already been talking about for the last couple of minutes here. It's Paul's letter to, first letter to Timothy. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse number 6. Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Man, Paul, setting the bar low here, right? Food and clothing, I'm good to go. Whew, I, got, I got some growing to do in my gratitude. How about you? He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Not those who are rich, notice, okay? Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Maybe you know people like that. Here's the verse, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, not money, not riches, not wealth, not stuff, the love of it, the love of money, the chasing after it is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He says that godliness with contentment is great gain. So learning to be okay with enough is a choice choice. Appreciating what we have, even if it's a little bit or not what we want or not what we think we deserve or not what they have, 
That's a choice. Thanking others for what they, the value that they bring to our lives as part of gratitude is a choice. It's a choice. Contentment is gratitude, and it's a choice. One more scripture from Paul again. Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Paul shows that gratitude is a choice. He writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That last verse, verse 13, is what I call a bumper sticker verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Sometimes we cheapen that by putting on every coffee mug and Bible cover and bumper sticker. Because what, it's, what that verse is telling us, it's a powerful verse. It's not just saying, I'm having a rough day, God will help me. It's true, and he will. What this verse is saying is you have a superpower within you to be content. And it's not a superpower that you were born with. Gratitude is learned, Paul says. I've learned to be content. I've learned this secret. So this is not natural. It is a learned behavior. It's a learned trait. It's a learned virtue that we're talking about today. We have to be trained in this. However, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just focus on this one word, in. He says, I've, been, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. It's what we talked about earlier. It's not that I have to be grateful for what I'm going through, but that what I'm, in what I'm going through, I can still be grateful. Paul says, I've learned to do that. I've had plenty. I've had nothing. In, in the middle of that, I've learned how to be content. So I choose gratitude. I choose joy. I choose peace. I choose faith. That's what I choose. It's a choice. And what Paul, again, verse 13 is powerful because what Paul is saying here is, on my own, I can't do that. On my own, I'm ungrateful. On my own, I am unappreciative of others. On my own, I always chase after more, 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 more. I'm never, I'm never settled in my heart. I'm never content with my bank account. I'm never okay. That's on me on my own. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, the supernatural strength to learn to be content in any and every situation. It's a superpower that God has available for us because we can't do it on our own. So we need that power that only Christ can give. So gratitude is a gate to God's presence and God's work in your life. Gratitude is freedom from us and the worst of ourselves. And gratitude is a choice. I can choose to be needy and judgmental and harsh with others and look down upon them and compare myself, or I can choose gratitude. So that's what I want us to choose. So as we close, here, here's where everything kind of just ties together perfectly with Pastor Appreciation Month. What I really felt strongly led to do at the last minute or two here is to express gratitude to people in the room. And so I think it's very fitting at the end of this month that this kind of just happens. Again, I, didn't, I, I had planned this series to stop like three weeks ago, and it ended up going longer than I thought. And it happened to be today, and we're being honored and everything. So I think this makes uh, perfect sense to tie this up with a bow. So I just want to express in three, <clears throat> three areas uh, gratitude. First, I want to uh, say how grateful I am for my wife. And I'm not going to cry. Um, I am going to cry. But um, for just an awesome relationship that we have and marriage that we have, and it's like all you, right? <clears throat> like just the, the support in what we're doing and you're working you know, crazy hours at a different job and doing crazy things here, and it's just, it means everything to me, right? That you're, we're called to this together, 
right? It's not a one-man show. It's that we're, we're on the same page. <clears throat> and even when we haven't been on the same page, it's because God had us on different pages for a reason, you know? And so I just want to say how grateful I am for, for you and your wisdom, your encouragement, um, your love, and, and just everything. So I, I love you, and I'm thankful for you. And then I want to, <clears throat> even though I only have one of my kids up here, I want to say I'm, I'm grateful for my kids, even that one who's, I'm not sure if he's awake. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> I got you. Got him. I'm just grateful for my kids because here's, here's one thing, and it, you're, you're a parent. Most of us in the room are parents, so you, get, you understand this, especially the dads. As we have kids, especially when we mess up, that's when we learn more about God as Father, I think, right? Like when I totally blow it with them or I lose my temper or I don't, don't keep a promise or whatever, even in those moments of failure, I'm like, man, God never does that. That's a cool lesson that I would not have learned if I weren't, I don't think if I were a parent. So I'm grateful for them, for that, for being a parent. And then I'm grateful to my kids because they're a part of this ministry too. For almost the last seven years, they have been here every Sunday. Only if they've been here, they've been some of the first ones to get here. They are the last ones to leave. They weren't called to ministry, so they didn't get a vote. Mom and dad were, and they just come along, and they do it, and they serve, and they give, and they're at every event. Again, first ones here, last ones to leave. Then I'll end with, <clears throat> I'm thankful for all of you. <sighs> you know, as I said earlier at the beginning, this is not common to have a group that love you. As a, as a pastor and support you <coughs> and I, I appreciate that more than I can express more than I could ever tell you and <coughs> you know we've had ups and downs as a church we've had and but through all of the changes and all of the unknowns and all the times where you knew I had no idea what I was doing, you were here, you showed up, you serve and give, you invest, you care, and that is not, I just can't underscore enough how rare that is, and so how blessed we are to have you guys as our family, right? God called us here for you. Believe it or not, I don't do this for the paycheck. <laughs> or the fame, <laughs> right? I don't do it because it's easy. I don't do it all the time because I want to. Do it because God called us to this, to you, to this community. <clears throat> and that's why something like last night was such a blessing to see just the level of involvement and investment in you guys. You're like, oh, it's just a trunk, and I'm just there for a couple hours. That's huge. That's everything. That's what this is. And so... <clears throat> I'm just so grateful 
for all of you and all that you mean to us personally, all that you mean to this church. It is, it is such a blessing that I do not take for granted. I am so grateful for all of you, and I want you to know that. Let's pray. God, first of all, we are so grateful for you. We're grateful that you love us, that you created us, that you watch out for us, and that despite our sinful rebellion against you, you chose to save us by sacrificing your son, putting him on our cross for our sin to purchase our salvation that you then make free to us. You purchased it. We didn't. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a gift that you paid for in full. So I thank you for that. And so I think we all have so many things for which to be grateful and thankful. And so I pray that today, hopefully it's not been a guilt trip, but just a good reminder of the power of gratitude. Gratitude can change everything about our situation. It can change how we view it. It can change the situation itself at times. It changes us for certain. As we live a life of gratitude, a a life of love, a life of of thanksgiving, uh, it changes everything and everyone around us as well. So many benefits to seeing the gate of gratitude, the power in that, the freedom that it brings. We have to make that choice. So I pray that we would all choose gratitude. When we don't feel like it, choose gratitude. When we feel angry, choose gratitude. When life comes at us a thousand miles an hour in a thousand different directions, let's choose gratitude. And as Paul says, we can't do it on our own. We need your help. We need your supernatural power to strengthen us and empower us and equip us to live a life of gratitude. And I pray that we we would do that and see the beauty and the benefits of that. So God, I pray that you would bless these people today. As we leave this place, keep us safe. Give us a great weekend, a great start to our weekend. Bring us back next time ready for more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.